Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us rise and be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him and at once said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against, uh, come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, every time we open your word, we are on holy ground. We are hearing you speak to us. I'm reminded of Moses before the burning bush, listening to your voice, taking off his feet, because he was on holy ground as he listened to your word. Father, as we examine this passage, as we examine our Lord Jesus in his hour of travail, so that his soul was so troubled within him that he felt as if his body would give way and he would die right there on the spot. Father, I ask that you would help us to see Jesus this morning to have the courage to look into the cup that he was to drink. And I ask that your grace would come and fill our hearts and our souls, that we would drink of Jesus himself and of his grace, because he drank the bitter cup for us. I pray in his name. Amen. Guess what happens today at 1 o'clock over at Raymond James Stadium. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers square off against the Dallas Cowboys. Byron Leftwich is the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers. While their first pick in the draft, uh, Josh Freeman is going to be sitting on the bench. But imagine with me this scenario. There's only one minute left in the game. Dallas is winning by five points, but the, but the Buccaneers have the ball at the 50-yard line, and Byron Leftwich has just been hurt, carted off the field, and so the rookie comes in off the bench with a chance to lead the Bucks to victory, and so as Josh Freeman lines up behind the center, 
we hear the television sportscaster say something like this. Well, it's been a difficult economic uh, year, or a difficult year economically. Let's check in and see how the concessions are doing. And so the, the, the camera shot goes from the, from the field over to uh, the concession stand uh, outside the stadium. And they see that there's a line of people waiting to buy hot dogs and, and uh, drinks. And the sportscaster announces, well, the hot dog sales are strong. The beer's flowing uh, freely. And so things are looking good out here at the concession stand. And while the, while the scene is focused on the, the concession stand, you can hear in the background from the stadium a loud cheer go up. And the bucks are obviously driving toward the end zone. But all you're looking at is this concession stand and you're screaming at the television, go back to the field. But to your dismay, the sportscaster says, let's go down to the sideline and check on the uh, supply of Gatorade for the players. And so the, the camera pans down to the sideline, and you get a quick glimpse of the field, and the Buccaneers are no longer on the 50-yard line, but down on the 20-yard line. And uh, Josh Freeman is lined up behind center, ready to run a play. But the, the, the camera continues to move over to the sideline where the Gatorade buckets are located, and there's one of the, the uh, sportscasters. For some reason, typically it's a lady on the sideline. I don't know why, but uh, there's the, the reporter lady, and she's peering into the to the Gatorade buckets. And while she is looking in there, a loud cheer goes up from the entire stadium. The Buccaneers sideline is all celebrating, and you're wondering what is happening. And the reporter announces, wow, there's plenty of Gatorade in the bucket for the players. Wouldn't that be frustrating? I've got to tell you, that's the way I felt when I read this passage. Jesus has gone out, gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and he is awaiting his arrest. He becomes very troubled. He becomes distressed in his soul. He's so upset that he feels like he might die any moment. And so in his distress, he leaves eight of the disciples behind. He takes three, Peter, James, and John. He asks them to sit and watch and pray. And he goes on a little further and begins to pray. He was in such ag- agony. Luke 22 tells us that he prayed earnestly and that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And you get a sense of the essence of his prayers in verse 36. In verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And we find in verse 37 that this prayer was not one sentence, but it was actually an hour long in its duration, and that he was greatly distressed throughout his prayer and is praying earnestly. 
And in this holy moment, I wanted to keep my focus on the Lord Jesus. I wanted to prepare my sermon to look at Him in His distress and in, the, in His prayer. But the text, just like the, the um, television camera, kept focusing away from Jesus. And it kept focusing on these disciples. And what are these disciples, what are they doing that's so important? Well, they're snoozing. They are sleeping soundly. Can you see my frustration? I wanted to see more about Jesus' prayer. I wanted to observe His faith in the face of His intense suffering. I wanted to see His prayer processes and His thought processes as he submits to his Father's will. But instead, we keep seeing the disciples asleep. And finally I realized that what God wants us, wants us to see here in this text, he of course wants us to see Jesus, but he also wants us to see the weakness of his disciples. And so there's an outline on the back of your bulletin. And this is basically our first point. The disciples' actions demonstrate our weakness. We see ourselves in their weakness. So again, here's what's happening. Jesus came from the upper room after they had uh, observed communion together. They sang a hymn. They went out. They went about two miles over to the Mount of Olives. They came into uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke says that it was his custom when he was in Jerusalem to come into the garden, into, into this garden. In fact, John 18, verse 2 says, Now Judas, who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples and as I've said if he entered into the garden he left eight of his disciples and took three Peter, James and John and he told them in verse 34 how distressed he was and he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch And so, uh, as he told them how distressed he was, he then went a little further away from them. He fell down to the ground, fell on his knees with his face to the ground, and he prayed with great earnestness for about an hour. But then he returned. He found Peter, James, and John sound asleep. Our weakness is demonstrated by their laziness. How many of us have fallen asleep in prayer? How many of us forget to pray? How many of us go days without earnestly pouring out our souls before God? We are the disciples. You know, I don't know one person who doesn't struggle with spiritual laziness. Secondly, our weakness is demonstrated by their ignorance of their weakness. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying watch and pray because you're going to fall into temptation unless you do. And I don't think they really have a sense of how weak they really are and how much they need God's Spirit and how much they need God's power. Because if they don't watch and pray, they will fall into temptation. The Spirit, even if it be willing, even if it be converted, even if you be a Christian, your flesh is still weak. And so... Um, I, I think the reason for our laziness, to a great extent, comes from from our own uh, ignorance of our weakness. If we knew, or if we believed, even if we know, we may not believe. Even if we knew, or if we be- or if we believed, how weak we really are, we would fight to be more prayerful. The clear implication that Jesus is drawing here for his disciples is that they would have the spiritual strength and the wisdom not to desert Jesus when he was arrested. But we know from the text that they did indeed desert him. And we also know from the text that they did not watch and pray, but rather they were sleeping. It's interesting to me that he's addressing Peter specifically in verses 37 and 38. When Jesus found them sleeping, he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Remember last week as they were leaving the upper room? Remember what Jesus said? Or remember what Peter said? Peter said, this is going back to chapter 14, verse 29, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Basically saying, Jesus, you're wrong. Let me ask you, do you really believe John 15:5 when Jesus says, "Without me, you can do nothing?" Do you really believe that? Well, let's put your money where your mouth is. How much time did you spend in prayer preparation to worship God this morning? If the scripture really means, if the scripture really says, Without me, you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, I, as your pastor, am completely helpless and weak without the Spirit of God. And so are you. But God joyfully, willingly, freely gives His grace Gives the power of His Spirit to His children who cry out to Him. If a son asks his father for a stone, or for a piece of bread, will his father give him a stone or a snake? 
No, of course not. How much more will your Heavenly Father give His Spirit to you who ask Him? We open our hands in prayer to receive the, 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 the grace of God. Remember in 1 Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I wish that men everywhere would, open, would, would lift their hands to God in prayer. Calvin says, the reason we lift our hands and the reason we open our hands is to say to God, God, fill me. I need you. My hands are empty unless you fill me with your spirit and with your grace. That's the significance of the open hands and the raised arms. Lifting them toward God. Fill me with your grace. With an acknowledgement that without help we can do nothing. Thirdly, our weakness is demonstrated by their self-centeredness. Jesus is arrested. And in verses 50 and through 52, we find that everyone who was with him uh, were thinking only of their own necks and fled from him. It is very interesting to me here in this text as I looked at it this week. Jesus stopped praying three different times. I had never thought about that before. He stopped praying. Why did he stop praying? He stopped praying to come and check on his disciples. And he did not instruct them to pray for him. I've always thought that they were there to be praying to support him. He doesn't ask them to pray for him. He's coming back and checking on them, and he's instructing them to pray for themselves. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In the, in the middle, right in the midst of his unparalleled agony, he stops praying, and he comes back and checks on his disciples. If there was ever a person who had the right to focus on his own agony, it was the Lord Jesus at that moment. But he's looking outside of himself, and he's going to check on his beloved disciples. Truly, our Savior came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The greater Jesus' stress comes, the closer he moves to his arrest. It seems the more selfish that the disciples become. Again, I've already alluded to it. As they, he washed their feet. We didn't see it in the text last week, but that was part of the Passover. He washed their feet. He told them, my body is going to be torn for you. My blood is going to be poured out for you. And then he said, you're all going to deny me and desert me. And they said, Jesus, you're a liar because we will not. And then when they go out to the garden, they not only fall asleep once, they fall three times. Their hearts are turned toward themselves. Our weakness is demonstrated by their self-centeredness. 
And I think this goes to the very heart of why we are weak spiritually. Because at our core, even though we're redeemed, even though we love God, we still have this flesh that's always turning in on ourselves when we should be turning out and turning up to God. We are easily tempted because we are at the center of our desires. And if you are unable to see this basic flaw in yourself, then I declare that you are a stranger to the spirit of holiness. And you need to flee to Jesus right now that He would give you a new heart, that He would give you spiritual eyes to be able to see into your soul and see your true need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look quickly at Jesus' prayer because His prayer demonstrates His humanity. It says here in verse 33 and 34 that His soul was distressed It was troubled. It was sorrowful unto death. This is a difficult saying. I mean, because what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is Almighty God. He holds everything in His hands. But He is saying here that He is terrified of what lies ahead of Him. He's not scared of dying. But Jesus has been looking into this cup that was prepared for him to drink. And so I want to take a peek in that cup as well so that we can understand his terror and so that we can better understand his request that he not drink this cup. He saw two things when he looked into this cup that was poured for him. First of all, he saw inside this cup that it's full to the brim with sin. This cup was brimming with hatred, jealousy, lies, covetousness, lust, murder, selfishness. We could go on and on. That cup was full of every sin that I have ever committed. Think about that sin that just looked so innocent at the time. And you committed it so easily. Jesus had to drink that sin. And when he looked into that cup, it was so horrifying that it staggered him. So he saw in this cup every sin that his people have ever committed. Secondly, when he looked in his cup, he realized that it was a cup full of God's wrath. By drinking this cup, Jesus was not only cursed, he became a curse. Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. And he knew by drinking this cup that he was going to become forsaken by God. It's a little wonder now as you start to look at this, at uh, his request in this light. It's a little wonder that he was sweating blood when he was praying and asking God to take this cup away from him. No one has ever experienced 
the realization of anguish that Jesus experienced when he peered into that awful cup that was full of hell itself. And he didn't simply have to taste it. He had to drink every drop. The good news is is that he drank that cup for you. He was willing to be the substitute. He was willing to stand in your place. He was willing to become a curse. He was willing to take on the wrath of God on himself. He was willing to take your sin, to stand in your place. But it wasn't easy. And that's why he's asking. That's why he is honestly asking that this cup be removed from him. We have a glimpse. It's really more than a, more than a glimpse. It's a, a full-on look at his humanity. He became a human to die for humans. He kept his divinity, but he added his added humanity. And in his humanity, he trembles at the fact that every terror of hell is going to be laid upon him as he hangs there upon the cross. The condemnation, your condemnation, if you were in Jesus, became his reality. Without Jesus, your condemnation remains your condemnation. And if you die without the Lord Jesus, every morning throughout eternity, and I know there's no mornings in eternity, it's one long endless day, but for our um, finite minds it's helpful to think in these terms, every morning your breakfast is going to be a cup of God's wrath. Every lunchtime it's going to be another cup of God's wrath. Every evening, another cup of God's wrath for eternity through eternity. Let's continue moving through the last point. Jesus' admission. His submission demonstrates his divinity. You know, there is not a single one of us that would have willingly drunk that cup if we had truly looked into it and looked it through to the bottom of that cup like our Lord Jesus did. And he hated the prospect of drinking it. But he loved doing his Father's will more. He willingly, he eagerly submitted to his Father's will. He willingly gave his body up to death. He willingly submitted to his arrest. In fact, his arrest was not simply because he was betrayed by Judas. He gave himself up to go back to be arrested, not because they were coming out with swords and spears and clubs. He gave himself up willingly because that was his sovereign prerogative. If he had decided to say no, 
I will not go. He could have destroyed them all in a moment. There's this great verse. You, you might have overlooked it in your Bible reading, but in, in, uh, in the book of John, when they came out to arrest him, they said, are you, the Muslim, are, are you Jesus? And he said, I am. He pulled back just a little of eternity, just to let us, just a little of his glory uh, shine through. And it says they all fell back on the ground. What's amazing to me is that they got back up and arrested him anyway. But he could have blasted them into eternity. But he sovereignly, he willingly gave himself up uh, to death. John 10.18, this is the passage of the Good Shepherd. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We began looking at the disciples. We're going to look quickly at them one more time, but we are certainly going to end by looking at Jesus. When you are living your life, when you are facing temptations, the Lord Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Recognize your weakness. Go to Him in prayer. But here's that final look at Jesus. You are praying to Him who is sovereign, who has your life, who has all your circumstances in His sovereign hands. You are not praying to one who is weak. You are praying to one who can truly help you to overcome and to resist temptation. Let's pray together. Almighty Lord Jesus, we thank You that You willingly, freely, even as the book of Hebrews says, joyfully lay down your life for us. I pray that as we symbolically drink your blood, eat your body, that we would feast on you by faith, that we would lift up our hearts to you, though they be empty, though they be full of weakness, even sin, I pray you would fill us with your grace and make us a prayerful people and through our prayers more than overcomers through him who loved us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.